now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert on this beautiful evening in October. A little chilly out there, which I noticed mostly when I noticed that my one coat was lost, I think somewhere in Utah. So if you see my coat, my only coat, you don't need a lot out here. Send it to Desert Oracle at our post office box in Joshua Tree. Ken Lane is out on the road and he has decided to come to Urbana, Illinois uh, to perform at the Pygmalion Festival this year. Um, How many of you have listened to the podcast in the past? Read the books? Excellent. Okay. Uh, So sit back and enjoy, and I'm going to hand the mic over to the Desert Oracle. Well, hi there, everybody. I usually say night has fallen on the desert, but I don't know what to say tonight. Night has fallen on the cornfields. The strange thing, the lucky thing in this line of work is no matter where you are, especially in America, possibly the weirdest country on earth for many, many reasons, is that every place you look at has weird, strange, disturbing, humorous, ridiculous, conspiratorial, and occult stories. So driving around this part of the country, this part of Illinois, is very hard to go about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile without seeing something that references Lincoln. Did, did, did he work here or something? Because it's, it really never relents. But it's proper for the work that we're doing tonight. Because Lincoln was the first goth president. Even before he was murdered in a theater, which is the absolute most goth way to leave this mortal coil... He was already deeply dark and weird and melancholic, as they used to say, which is something I think we ought to bring back. Because it sounds so much more romantic. Now, if we're having a hard time, we say, I have anxiety, I'm depressed. And that has its own charm, but to say... I'm a melancholic. It has a resonance that is so much deeper. It's something you expect 
Johnny Cash to say. It's something you expect a poet to say. And it was the sort of thing that the people of the time got used to Abraham Lincoln saying. And it did not help that Lincoln married possibly the most goth person <laughs> until maybe uh, Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice. <laughs> and her name was Mary Todd. And she lived here too. She lived all around here as Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln sort of went from place to place as he built up his career going through one small town in central and southern Illinois after another. And she was into a lot of weird stuff. One thing she was into, which was a huge craze at the time, and we're kind of coming back into this with the occult revival. Does anyone notice that now suddenly we're all supposed to read tarot cards all the time? That's as fun, as interesting, but it sort of happened all of a sudden. All of a sudden, we would tell our future from an artisan deck of ancient cards. Mary Todd was into spiritualism, seances, sightings of ghosts. She did something that I think a lot of us would love to get away with, which is to say, I'm going to take to my bed for several weeks. <laughs> and just sort of spend some time in the dark in my four-poster bed with people bringing strange cures. When Lincoln died, it was Mary Todd who created this death cult that would follow Lincoln, his corpse, initially for a long time. There was, and you can look this up, this is one of the things that's good to look up on the internet. You can look up Abraham Lincoln's death coach. And this is something out of a Halloween special. It's just incredible. It's a long black wagon carriage with lanterns on the side, oil lamps, and this was solemnly taken all over the country, anywhere where they couldn't take the special Abraham Lincoln death train car, which was the thing that was running up wherever there was railroad track at the time. People would come and see it, wail and moan. But Mary Todd got more and more depressed and melancholic. And she brought the spiritual advisor, the one who would come to the White House on several occasions to give advice on 
and how to run the country in such troubled times. And maybe it was good advice, maybe it was bad advice. One strange thing about this spiritualist who would come around is that he was drinking buddies with a kind of out-of-work actor named John Wilkes Booth. And somehow did not pass on that information, although he did encourage the president to maybe not be out in public so much, not just be sitting there waiting for more melancholy to descend upon him. Now, my paternal family came out of eastern Kentucky, and so my dad fled as soon as he could. And the Lincolns also had been in Kentucky before seeking opportunity up here. And so when my uh, when my sons were reaching the age of having some sort of interest in their background, mostly because they had to turn in a heritage report, which in California is a sixth grade requirement, we got onto the uh, the website where you can look at your ancestry. We're looking back into Kentucky and relatives that went into Illinois. And finally, there was a trouble spot. There was the same person, the same man, who was an ancestor of two lines. Which, in Kentucky, we call kissing cousins. And that's what this was. And I saw the name of this person, and it was uh, Robert Todd. And I thought, oh, good Lord. I hope it's not that one. Because if you are inbred, you would hope not to have the source of the inbreeding be related to one of the more famous depressed people on Earth, (laughs) which was Mary Todd Lincoln. And sure enough, it was her. So it explained a lot of things. And I was able to tell my kids, well, that's some connection to history. You know, that's fine. I'm sorry it's that one. Because Mary Todd got more and more melancholic in the years after Lincoln died. She started taking to her bed, not for weeks, but for months. Eventually, she was institutionalized by her own son, which is rude, I think. (laughs) But she left her mark. She left her mark in grieving habits that followed many years after she died. Whatever sort of Victorian mourning habits had existed before that, got much, much heavier, much more dark in those years when people could look to the former first lady, the widow of the president, say, well, if she does it, I can walk around for eight years all in black in a veil. You get a certain amount of respect in some towns doing that. 
so in all parts of the country, especially parts where there's any kind of history that has left a very big mark on us, it's easy to kind of shrug or laugh at it because it seems so different from how we are. But then we drive around and at every crossroads where someone has perished, there's some makeshift weird memorial of like a two-by-four cross with a bunch of teddy bears and plastic flowers on it. You look back on Facebook pages that people have left behind and there's 500 comments people who were touched one way or another by the deceased live lives and it, it may not be as Halloween-esque it might not be quite as cinematic but it's the same feelings expressed although if we did go back to wearing black and mourning everyone we knew whoever passed on I think we can make our communities more interesting and make our friends more uncomfortable. Which, at least in days past, was uh, something of a goal. To have things be romantic and dark and heartfelt and emotional. Another strange thing that I have found often leads back to Illinois, especially central and southern Illinois, are cryptids. You all know what cryptids are? So cryptids are basically animals that we would kind of rather see. Things that we might show more appreciation for than our normal urban, ex-urban wildlife of raccoons, deer that won't get off the lawn, or where I'm from, rattlesnakes, scorpions, centipedes, black widows, coyotes, which are delightful to have around, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, Great horn owls hooting in the dark, bats flying around as you take out the garbage. Those are the kinds of things that are featured at the Nature Center. They rarely feature at the Nature Center Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Mothman, the things we really care about. It's nice to love wildlife and help the environment and everything else. But especially since we mostly wiped out all the predators in North America, although the wolves are coming back and there's still some brown bears, grizzly bears, we sort of took the risk out of wildlife. We took the risk out of camping or fishing, which is why we get so excited when a couple of people get on a little fishing skiff and go out into a lake and a monster comes up. That's something that might be terrifying at the time, but you will never lack for a story at a bar ever again.
if something like Champy, the Lake Champlain monster out of New York State, lifts up and lifts up your little tin boat. Now, there is one cryptid that has been seen in many counties in the southern part of Illinois and is often described, disturbingly, I think, as something with big shining eyes and three legs. And we don't have any wildlife with three legs. We don't even have a lot of mythological creatures with three legs. So, of course, the local newspapers had to come up with some kind of explanation. It had to be debunked in some way. So the explanation they came up with is kangaroos. <laughs> there were kangaroos in the cornfields hanging around outside people's houses caught in the lantern light. No kangaroo was ever found. The witnesses, as they always do, professed sobriety, uh, good reputation in the community. For some reason, you can never admit when you see a monster. I had a beer first. Which troubles me as a esoteric historian because on a regular occasion when has anyone ever seen a red-eyed nine-foot monster after having a beer and if so what kind of beer is that I think it's time to go over to uh, our portable radio booth and we'll tell a little story from the desert. It's almost October. We'll turn on a scary light. <laughs> now, if you had grown up anywhere in the western half of the United States during the 1940s and 1950s, on the AM radio, you would hear a strange signal supposedly coming out of a place called Zizek's. Zizek's, California. And you'd hear a friendly voice, uh, kind of relaxed carnival Barker voice. And he would say, Hello, folks. This is your old friend Curtis Springer 
coming to you direct from our beautiful new studios located at Zizix Community Church on the shores of beautiful Lake Tuinde. And as founder and pastor of our church, I want to invite you and your loved ones to come worship with us, come with or without money, spend a day or a week or a lifetime as you care to do and enjoy our beautiful 12,000 acre estate that belongs to God. We have no promotion, no real estate for sale. Just come on out here and enjoy our wonderful hot mineral water baths, the finest of foods in abundance, and our wonderful desert with clear, fresh air. No smog, no fog. Come and learn to breathe again. Lay out in the sunshine. Oh, you'll love it here. You'll get a greater joy out of life. So until the same time tomorrow, over the same wonderful radio station, I'll say bye-bye and God bless you all. That was the Reverend Dr. Curtis Springer on KMTR 570 AM, the year 1944. Only a few miles south of Interstate 15 with his numbing traffic of Las Vegas tourists and long-haul truckers, there is an oasis out of a Hollywood Sahara dream. It sits at the end of a gravelly road that winds around glossy brown volcanic rock piles as the sandy earth gives way to saltbush and marshland, thick with tall green reeds, busy with dragonflies and visiting shorebirds. This is Soda Springs, where mineral waters are forced from the underworld at the western edge of a vast dry lake bed that meets the jagged mountain ranges of Mojave National Preserve. Out of this wild panorama rise neat rows of palm trees, enormous California and Mexican fan palms, with seven decades worth of dead fronds reaching to the ground. The palm line driveway leads to a small village, a village from another time. The boulevard is divided by a wide sandy median with more trees, an old nesting box on a pole and park benches facing the small lake ringed by desert willows. The coots have the run of the pond, a half dozen of the black feathered creatures glide across the water. On a steamy still day, as the season's last monsoon thunderstorms cook up over the eastern mountains. There is shade from the overgrown smoke trees, but not much relief from the 104 degree Fahrenheit heat. The village consists of a handful of white plaster buildings along the grandly named Boulevard of Dreams. Rows of dorm-style guest houses are across the way with small shared patios between them. The grandest building has an outdoor dining room with the whole eastern Mojave for a backdrop along with a crescent of those giant Mexican palm trees framing the immense scenery. Just below the pond surface, small carp dart around. The last pure specimens accidentally saved from extinction or crossbreeding by a curious character who introduced that rare fish from a nearby spring. What had been their last refuge? when he built his charming little acre-and-a-half lake. 
The most stunning parts of the Mojave Desert, both natural and man-made, are nearly always empty of people. For 30 years, from 1944 to 1970, a self-appointed doctor of medicine and theology lived out here, presiding over his busy empire of health potions and faith. He was a Reverend Curtis Springer, Doc Springer to his friends, and anybody who mailed an envelope of cash to the world-famous Isaac Mineral Springs was indeed his blessed friend. To build his Moroccan-inspired oasis, Springer bust in the winos from the nickel, Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. They got three meals a day and a bunk for their troubles, but most headed back to Fifth Street once they figured out that alcohol wasn't part of Doc Springer's health menu. When his hotel and his cross-shaped soaking pool and his radio studio were completed, Springer broadcast his invitation to anyone with the means to travel out to Soda Springs and take his many cures. Generous donations were expected to those who couldn't afford a visit to his enchanting resort on the desert but still enjoyed his sermons carried by more than 300 radio stations coast to coast. He offered mail-order cures both commonsensical and absurd. It's hard to argue with a juice diet or mineral baths to clean you out, but his mohair baldness cure required the rubbing of Soda Lake salts on the scalp while hanging upside down. From Amboy to Isaacs and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. Halloween is coming. We're supposed to have a Halloween campfire stories, but I don't know what happened. So we'll tell you next week if something comes up. Maybe we'll have it at your place. Soundscapes on tonight's program by our own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Weather is cool, it's darker earlier, and the monsters are on the prowl. Watch out. The noise outside is not just the wind. in the sky are not just flares. The scratching at the screen door is not just the dog. Good night from the voice of the desert.